Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 39th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, will you be my Valentine? Oh. Oh. Yeah. That's actually the card my wife got me, but, you know, I think she'll be cool if I re-gift it. Okay. Probably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's something you can do, right? I can just cross out her name at the bottom and put Roger and then cross out my name and put Michael and it, it, it's basically all the same sentiment, right? Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I gave Casey or I told Casey, I made her a card today and she was like, Ooh, or Oh, or something. And I thought she said no. And I'm like, uh, I guess I can cross your name off and try to repurpose it. <laughs> but she's like, she was like, Oh, not no. And it was just a silly interaction. Is Christmas our Valentine's day then? Because you make me nice homemade cards for Christmas. So I mean, like, it's kind of the same gift. If you're getting your wife these kinds of things, and now you're getting me these kinds of things, it's, I just feel like you know this is some pretty serious stuff here. <laughs> I, I guess Christmas can be our Valentine's Day. Hell yeah, dude. Okay, well, now that we've established our relationship on a n- new level, what would you like to discuss on the podcast this week? So for this week, what we're talking about tournament preparation, everything from Choosing a deck, playtesting for the event, uh, getting putting the deck together and playing the tournament or being ready to play the tournament to everything that's like not directly related to the game, but still important, like taking care of yourself physically, uh, making travel plans, flights, driving, hotel, whatever is involved. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at the notes here and I see step number one, contact your financial advisor to already plan your prize winnings. So uh, <laughs> how do you normally, uh, do you set aside the money into a specific fund ahead of time? Do you kind of uh, plan for it? Do you, do you take a certain portion out in advance from taxes? Uh, tell us about how you like manage your winnings ahead of time. <laughs> you don't manage your winnings ahead of time. I didn't add it to the- I don't. No, I don't. You're right. You, you do. <laughs> I think- I didn't add it to the notes, but managing expectations is also important. There are a bazillion people going to the tournament, even if you. And one of them is going to be Michael Hamilton. So plan on what to do with second place money at best. <laughs> no matter how good you are, it's never like the expectation to win the 400 plus person or any tournament, really, I guess, regardless of how many people are there. Because like. At the end of the day, it's a card game. You're going to have bad matchups. A lot of things have to go your way to win a tournament. And uh, so you shouldn't have too high of expectations. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I had to calm down my rhetoric after I realized if Bolton was tier one, I would have won calling Indianapolis, but he he just, he wasn't yet. So, How many Briars did you play against over the weekend? uh three day one and then i didn't play against any day two okay uh because i just played against three fives so i mean like i actually probably would have like crushed the meta yeah if you could get through the day one where you go four three losing to three briars yeah because i only played against icelander once and that was our only like horrendous match over bolton so i probably should have just stuck with bolton but you know hindsight 2020 yeah Oh, I, I believe the Dromai uh, Tomo tied you pretty early in your game against Dromai, and that would have been bad news. You can still win games after Tomo tie. There are slogs, but you can still win. Hmm. Okay. 
Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> so now we've set our expectations. What else should we be expecting about the tournament? So I guess there's a lot of things to expect. I don't know um, exactly what you're Maybe asking. some kind of metagame, some kind of ah. like what, what heroes will be represented, uh, some kind of expectations for the decks you'll play across the weekend. Yeah, see, see you're, was, you're I, trying to be subtle and get me to pick up on what you were putting down, but I was just it just went way over my head. But yeah, anyway, okay. so metagaming for a tournament is pretty important. If you have no idea what decks are going to show up, how are you going to know what deck to play? What, what cards to put in your sideboard, what cards to bring, even if you're locked on playing a specific hero, knowing what decks to expect should alter your deck build at least a little bit. So to, I guess, what I generally do to kind of guess or predict the metagame is I follow a lot of like Twitter conversations and content that like other podcasts and stuff and kind of see what everyone's talking about. And I also look, if you go to Fab TCG's website, you can look at their uh, if it's during a ProQuest season or post a ProQuest season, you can see what's doing well in ProQuest season. You can look at what's been doing well at callings and other big events or road to nationals or nationals or whatever, whatever events are going on. And they do a very good job on the main website of posting like breakdowns of what's been doing well at events. So looking at those and checking in on those and then trying to follow some of the discussion going on in public places. That is, in my opinion, the best way to see what people will probably bring to the tournament. That makes sense. So basically what you're saying, if you're not going to be playing a deck that's good into an expected metagame, don't show up. So never bring Reinar or Azalea or anything like that. So when you bring what I would call like um, a hero that is not particularly good into some of the more popular heroes. You, I think that is reasonable to do, but you either need to adjust your plan to have a fighting chance into those matchups or be pretty good into basically everything else if you're going to essentially forfeit that matchup. So a good example of this was I, me and several of the Wolfpack guys took old time to Pro Tour 2 and Leal and we were all on the dodge prism plan because the prism matchup was basically unwinnable and we knew prism would be some percentage of the metagame somewhere between because i was playing prism in that tournament somewhere we yeah no we we, we kind of like it wound up being a really good t- choice for the deck uh for that tournament there was like four prisms in the top eight or something like that right i think there were two or four. i think there were two prisms four briars and some other stuff and then Prism got ninth and tenth also though, so all the yeah. tiebreakers. Poor Marco Fang. Right, he got he bubbled. Right? Yeah, Michael Fang got tenth. Yeah, poor guy. Mm-hmm. That was right before he joined the Wolf Pack. Mm-hmm. Had he joined the Wolf Pack, he would have easily won the tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Okay, so so. With the metagame expectations, so what do you do, though? Like, can you ever really be confident in, like, a metagame, though? Because I feel like in Flesh and Blood, every time I have an expectation for, like, a metagame, there's always some weird curveball that winds up happening as far as, like, what people actually bring. And I think 
in Indianapolis, the weird curveball was that I think Dorinthia was like in the top four or five registered decks for the tournament. And like, I think it was like close to like 20, like it was between 10 and 20% of the field, right? Somewhere in that range. That's like a lot of Dorinthia. So like, if all of a sudden, like you're planning to play against, you know, Briar, Oldhams, and Icelanders, and then round one you play against a Dorinthia, you're like, oh, well, I didn't plan for any of this. Like, how do you how do you adjust to that then? Yeah. So the good news is most of the time that a hero that hasn't really been part of the meta before is that large of the field, they aren't usually going to do as well as like some of the more established heroes, because unless there's like some build that got out, that's like actually a really good way to build the hero. It's hard for 10 to 20% of the field to take a hero that's not really being played and come up with a good version of it, basically a version of yeah, it. I, was, I thought you were going to say the good news is Dorinthia sucks. <laughs> that's, where you were going I, that's not far from what I was saying. I think <laughs> so. Like, I don't think it's that necessarily that Dorinthia is garbage or unplayable, but like the, we haven't seen Dorinthia put up a lot of results in the past and we still haven't seen that. And that basically means that the current ways Dorinthia is being built are not good enough. Right. Uh, yeah. Sure. And maybe there's no ways that are good enough to build Dorinthia to have good results, but it's possible there's something out there, but even if there is something out there, 10 to 20% of the field is not all going to find it at the same time, unless there was like something big that happened that you missed. Like I think early on in Starvo season, when the, oh, I can't remember who it was that went like nine and zero or 10 and zero in a tournament with like all element Starvo with winners will on stalagmite. And they were just fusing everything, but someone went like basically nine or 10 with the deck and then the deck kind of broke out after that. And I think that that would be like an example of like a deck that you aren't ready for that is actually very good. And like everyone has access to the build, but that would be like something that you would probably pick up if you looked at recent tournament results and followed some of the discussions going on on Twitter or Reddit or wherever people talk about those things, the public discords. Okay. But, and then I guess the last thing I'll say about metagames though is the day before the tournament, we put up our podcast and we were just like, yeah, we're playing Icelander. We think Icelander is good. This is like the last slots we're going to put into our Icelander deck. Here's what we're doing. And nobody pivoted to Icelander or to like anti-Icelander, I feel like. Like Drobi didn't become the second most registered deck uh, because of our podcast. So well, like, how much it? of a fact do you think we have on the metagame? I think Dromai was the second most registered deck. Was it? No way. People can't be that crazy. I, I think, need to look at this. I think it was Briar than Dromai. Am I wrong? It was, there were like 50 Dromais or something. We're looking this up in real time. Here we go, baby. That's, that's really funny that that was your example. Dromai was the second most registered. <laughs> oh my goodness. What people are crazy. Dromai is not playable. Wow. So, again, when a deck that you um like I was saying, people really wanted to beat Michael Hamilton, I guess. Deck, I played against zero Dromai, so it was a good weekend. Yeah, lucky you, buddy. 
when a deck that like hasn't really put up results is such a big part of the metagame, usually it doesn't do well unless something recent happened that like there's some new broken build of it that's like very public. And like after oh, I don't want to pronounce his name wrong, but it's like Fwad Omar, I think. The Dromai that top eight worlds. Mm-hmm. I think his build was like pretty good. And I guess obviously he did really well in the tournament. So I think it would be reasonable for a lot of people to pick up like that version of the deck and play that and do really well. But it's also, a, I don't know. The met, I feel like the metagame just like shifts slowly and like the decks that are winning don't oh, change man. quickly over time. Her conversion rate was atrocious too. It was like 15 or eight Dromai's in day two. Mm-hmm. Not as bad as Bravo's, which is like it's really <laughs> funny that Bravo converted horribly and then he won the Bow Harden in Europe. It's like, was this guy playable or not? I don't understand. Yeah, what one Bravo out of 40, 42 made day two, and that Bravo did not top thirty two, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, so not a good showing for Bravo. We kind of look silly saying Bravo might be better than old time, but then he won the battle Harden, So, you know, yeah. So like, who knows something, something, maybe just European people know how to play Bravo and we're, we're just missing something. <laughs> Our puny American minds can't process the masculinity of boomer Bravo. Yep. <laughs> so once you have an idea of like the kind of decks that you're going to run into at the tournament, um, you want to make sure you get some play testing in against those decks. Right. That seems reasonable. Yeah. So it's one thing to be like, yeah, I know, or I know Briar is going to be popular, so I'm going to play Icelander. Well, that's great and all, but if you haven't actually got reps with Icelander into Briar, you're probably still going to struggle into the matchup. Like, whatever matchup you're targeting, you still need to practice and you want to practice against it a lot. I would say whatever you think is the most popular deck should probably be the deck that you spend most time practicing against. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then as far as anything else about like the game itself for prep for tournaments, anything else you want to talk about? So I guess this is kind of about the game, kind of not. It's kind of like blurry or on the line, but like whatever you're registering for your deck, make sure you have the cards for it or you have ways to get the cards. Like, if you're borrowing stuff, make sure you have all that lined up before you start traveling before the weekend of the tournament. Otherwise, or if you're just like comfortable just buying cards from dealers, which can be kind of pricey, but it like also very convenient, just be ready. And that, that should be your plan, I guess. Not like, oh shoot, I didn't have, I don't have this card. I didn't have any way to get it. So I guess I'm going to shell out a hundred something dollars to this legendary that I could have, that I have at home or something. Make sure you like bring everything you might want. So bring your entire collection to tournament halls. Got it. Okay. Um, no, that's not what you're saying. No. And then just if you're like playing Bolton, maybe bring. I'm, I'm. You have me. I'm interested. Maybe bring your legendary Valiant Dynamo, even if you're planning to not play it. If you think you might switch to putting Valiant Dynamo in your deck for some reason, I don't know. Maybe make sure you pack it. Or if you're bringing Bolton. Also bring Courage of Bladehold if you're planning on playing Courage of Bladehold in your deck. Mm-hmm. Or Raiden. Or Raiden if you're planning on playing Raiden in your deck. 
Thank God I didn't forget like Tunic. So at uh, at a pro at the last ProQuest I played in, I, I get to the tournament. I sit down for my ro- round one, and I look in my deck box, and I'm missing a Courage, a Bladehold, and a Raiden. And I have to scramble around the room, to be like, "Can anybody let me borrow these cards?" And the shop itself, cards and all, I love you, cards and all. Uh, let me borrow their Courage, a Bladehold for the day. They were just, I was like, "I'll buy this," and they're like, "No, no, just borrow it." I was, it's like you know you, you're Roger Bodie. You think we think Roger Bodie from the MNR podcast is going to steal from us? No way. There's no way he would do that. And I didn't. I didn't steal from them. So they were right. So. I'm glad you didn't steal from them. That would be pretty bad for us. Yeah. So if you're on a really popular podcast, you don't necessarily have to remember all your cards because your clout will just carry you. Michael experiences it all the time. You know, people just throw cards at him most of the time. <laughs> what? That's not something that happens. No. Well. Maybe for signing them, but not for freaking borrowing them. Or after you win the tournament, people just hand you gold gold foils all the time, right? What one one gold gold foil? No, I just assumed you were just tripping over them at this point in time. I do have a few, but anyway, <laughs> the the last kind of like supply for the tournament is sleeves. Um, in general, like I guess sleeves is something we could probably talk about for a little while because like sleeves and also making sure you don't have mark cards so like if you've been using your sleeves on your deck for a while they are probably going to be beat up a little bit and you probably want to replace them for a tournament especially if it's like a battle hardened or a calling something bigger you should have fresh clean sleeves yeah absolutely because you can get game losses if your sleeves have like dirt or uh are not good quality if judge checks your deck and they're like um these are now marked cards. You are going to get a game loss. And that's going to lead me into like the next thing I always do before a tournament is I will go up to a member of the judging staff or the head judge or uh, any like I just go to the judge table and I'm like, hey, I have at least one foil in my deck. Could somebody please check out my deck to make sure that none of my foils are considered to be marked cards? And they look through my deck. They look they manipulate it they do whatever they want and i have not had an issue yet with having foils in my or foil cards in my deck um my icelander deck is like 95 percent foil i think the only things that aren't foil is like the command and conquerors and enlightened strikes at this point because they're command and conquerors and enlightened strikes <laughs> um so uh definitely if you have like any foils in your deck though i think it's just well worth it to just have a judge check out your deck before the event uh because i guess my plan would always be then at that point in time if like i get to a deck check situation later on in the tournament and they're there they do have a problem with the foils i could at least say well i checked what judge so and so before the event uh they cleared my deck they could go check with them and be like oh okay well maybe i won't get penalized or something like that i don't know if that's gonna 100 percent the way that works out but i just feel better playing in the event knowing that i did my due diligence beforehand and it's something i highly recommend for anybody doing who has foils in their deck unless your deck is 100 percent foils but you know that's a then you, then you have less problems to deal with i guess anyways yeah and even if your deck is 100 percent foils you could still get some foils that end up pretty warped and you can still end up cutting to them even in an all foil deck because they don't always warp the same one card can just be like a that's little fair. warped because it's foil and Non-foil cards... Sloop Doop, actually. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say non-foil cards can also be warped too, but that's usually like if you shuffle hard and like you like accidentally flick the card or something and it gets bent, that can also lead to marked cards. So like it's something that you want to be aware of 
even after like the first round of the tournament, if you like hit a card kind of hard when you're shuffling, sometimes that can lead to a marked card. And I actually had a tournament situation. This was in Magic, not Flesh and Blood. But in our team tournament, I flicked one of my cards really hard when I was shuffling. And then later in the next round, uh, I noticed a weird lump in my deck and I called a judge over and I'm like, hey, I think my I think I accidentally marked my card when I was shuffling. And it was the last round of the tournament. I had to go buy a like $8 replacement. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I was going to say Sloop Dupe has a good YouTube video that talks about how to like uncurl your foils and stuff like that. And uh, I've used some of those techniques um, because like card, the fables and stuff like that, like they just only come in foil. So I think Michael had a cracked bobble proxy, but my I just take good care of my card, so I don't need to do that. And okay, yeah, there's there there are ways to like uncurl your foils because basically, like the curling process, as my uh, tiny brain understands it, is that basically there's two layers to the card. There's the cardboard layer, and then there's the foil layer. And basically, over time, the cardboard aspect of it will pick up like moisture um from the atmosphere but the that doesn't absorb into like the sticker foil part and that's what causes the curling is that the sticker foil parts the same like density and length and then the cardboard has expanded and so it kind of warps around the foil uh so all you need to do is like remove that like uh moisture out of the card and keep it in like low humidity environments and your card should be fine so uh but he has a good video he explains it much better than i do and uh yeah check him out you said it's his his name's sloop dupe yeah s-l-o-o-p-d-o-o-p okay i'm gonna put a note to include a link in that in the description so you'll be able to find a link to this video in the description the last thing is about sleeves and mark cards is once you sat down with a judge and had them do it you can kind of see the process that they do to check your cards and then you can kind of replicate that on your own and kind of like maybe you got approved at the start of the tournament but uh you like flicked one of your cards and you're like is it marked now you can kind of do it on your own or you can always it's always a good idea to check with the judge if you're not sure but you can sometimes just check on your own too now is the time to move on to the non-flesh and blood aspects of tournament prep yeah yeah so i think this for this we kind of want to talk about like traveling um both flights and hotels um eating well getting enough sleep all that kind of stuff, things that are important to do to play your best in a tournament, but aren't. Yeah. So first thing you want to do is you're going to got to find a good um, drug dealer to get your hands on some kind of either amphetamine or cocaine. Uh, Cause it's really going to help you stay boosted and highlighted through the whole tournament. It's a long day. You're going to get tired, but you know, the use of drugs and performance enhancing uh, supplements is something that, uh, Michael has used a great success so far, but what? I'll let him get into more <laughs> details on that. Take it away, Michael. No drugs. <laughs> drugs are bad. Okay. So I guess the first thing is, oh, one other thing that we probably should talk about is making sure you're registered. <laughs> That's fine. People register for the tournament. Um, And ahead of time. So let's talk about that real quick. So there have been numerous instances in card game history where people are like, oh, it's the day before the tournament. I should probably register. And then they go to register for the tournament. They're there. They've traveled. And then lo and behold, the open tournament for the weekend, it's full. You can't register for it anymore. If you are planning on going to a tournament, book 
your ticket and registration in advance. Just do it. So like, it takes no time. Like, it, it's insane to me. I, I, like that people will like do literal everything else for the tournament, like book hotels and flights and travel arrangements and buy cards and buy sleeves and waste. Or at that point, they'll have wasted so much of their time as well. But they didn't register for the tournament. Register for the tournament as soon as you commit to going. Just just do that. If you're if you're planning on going to the five k in Chicago at the end of uh, March, register for it. There's an early bird special for it. I just registered for it today. I just paid my $55 and I could go and I know I'm going to go play in that 5k and it's great. And then if I decide, you know, the day before I get sick and I can't go, they'll refund you. They will be like, oh, okay, here's a refund for the event you didn't play it and you're fine. So there's no reason not to, there's literal, no downside uh, to doing it. And there is a lot of risk and downside to not doing it. That's my little register PSA. Yeah, I have definitely been known to register a little late for things. I think Indianapolis, it was the day before. And I'm like, I don't think I registered for the tournament. I'm going to do that. Lucky you that it didn't fill up. Yeah. So, but what you were saying about uh, regist- registering when you book your travel plans, I generally do that, but there was no traveling involved for Indianapolis. So I just forgot to register basically. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I will definitely register for the 5K shortly after this. Um, Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So speaking on travel, I recently learned that if you book flights with points, you can save quite a bit of money. What kind of points? So brownie points with your wife and then she pays or? No, no. Uh, Travel reward points from like credit card bonuses. Ah. Yeah. The only thing that comes with that, though, is like not all flights are available um all the time with it and some of the windows can be pretty restricted so uh your flight miles may vary i guess in this instance but if you have the option available to you sure it makes a lot of sense to do it that way yeah definitely start looking at flights once you're locked in usually like flights are cheaper a month to two months out than they are if you book them like a week or two away yeah it's crazy that flights are like the thing that gets more expensive the closer it gets to because like an airline would rather have like empty seats on a plane than like lower their prices, which is like crazy to me. Yeah. I, I don't really understand why it works the way it does. Cause you'd think like some flights that were like filling up their prices would go up. And then the other flights that are like having empty seats, their, their prices should go down. Right. Cause they really want to fill up the flight. But I feel like that's not how it's worked in my experience. Nope. It's uh, I think the way that the airlines look at it is that if people are looking to travel right now, then it's an emergency and you're willing to pay any price for that ticket. So they, they're like, oh, if you're desperate to travel right this second, you're, you're got to pay up, buddy. So that's, I think that's how they view it. But I don't know. Yeah. Such is life. That makes sense. So when would you recommend getting in when you're flying to a tournament? Uh, sometime before the tournament. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Not the morning of. So I did that for Orlando and that was quite the stressful morning. That's for sure. Because my flight was delayed like an hour. And then I remember running to the tournament hall with like five minutes before the tournament and like trying to figure out like, and like directing my Uber. Cause I didn't know where exactly the tournament hall was very stressful. Don't fly in morning of fly in the day before it's well, it's well worth it. Yeah. You can usually be like a little more selective about what flight you take, get a better deal because you're flying on not a Saturday. Saturday flights are usually kind of expensive, though. You do have to pay for 
lodging one night, but you get in, you can play side events on Friday. If you get there early enough, you can just rest and do all this other stuff that we talked about, like getting your deck list ready, resleeving, checking your cards. Um, and you get a good night's sleep too, if you get in the day before. So in theory, you, you at least have the opportunity to get a good night's sleep. If you're getting in at 5am or 6am, then you're going to be up in the middle of the night, getting ready for your flight and not be rested at all for the tournament. Oh, I was just saying that like uh, pre-tournament jitters are real and like sleeping in hotels suck. So it's like, I don't know if anybody really sleeps like super well before tournaments if like they're super excited for them. I know like it's hard for you to get excited for things anymore. It's just like old routine. Like I'm just going to go win another call. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like monotonous for you. But uh, a lot of other players, there's a lot of pre-tournament jitters involved. I still get pre-tournament jitters. If you say so. But I will say for Indianapolis, I slept well, but I was at home. So that helps with sleeping well. <laughs> but like, even if you're like having trouble sleeping, I found that when I am traveling a lot shortly before an event, I still feel like a lot worse than I do if I'm just like laying in bed nervous, unable to sleep the night before. I think there was a Mythbusters episode. Um, don't quote me on this. Look, do, do your own research on this. <laughs> uh, but I, I believe that they tested that uh, laying in bed with your eyes closed is basically almost as good as actually getting to sleep itself so like if you can just force yourself to like rest and close your eyes and just like even if you're just like conscious if you're just like thinking about stuff i think they showed like that's almost as good as like getting like real sleep and it's definitely better than like getting up and like scrolling on your phone or playing whatever game uh in the middle of the night so uh i i, I try that huh i guess that that I haven't seen this Mythbusters episode, but that does sound like it matches with my anecdotal experiences of laying there with my eyes closed, thinking about tournament stuff. Yeah. Counting the money. One dollar bill. <laughs> Two. No, freaking uh, for Indianapolis. Friday night, I slept great. Saturday night, I was awake in the middle of the night. Just like, how do I beat fatigue old time? How do I beat fatigue old time? Just thinking about it. And I just laid in bed with my eyes closed, thinking about fatigue old time. And then I had a plan okay. and I got beat up in Swiss and then I revised my plan and it worked much better. And so the other option for travel is kind of driving. And I know we've definitely driven to some events the morning of. Yeah. If it's like a two hour drive, I don't mind two to three hours, anything past that. I'm too old for that now. That's fair. I think like when you're driving, it's, you don't have to get up nearly as early if you're flying like a two hour drive versus a two hour flight. You're going to, you get like two extra hours of sleep with a two hour drive. Cause like you don't have to go to the airport. You don't have to be at the airport like an hour and a half before your flight actually leaves. And then you don't have to figure out transportation from the airport to the venue once you land. So it saves like a two hour drive to a tournament is at least two hours faster than a two hour flight to a tournament. Yeah. And if you want to go full degenerate, uh, if you drive to a tournament like Roger did in his 20s, you also don't need to book a hotel at that point. Just sleep in your car. And then, you know, two birds, one stone. Right. Like the the Saturday night for a two-day tournament? So mm -hmm. I did that plenty of times in my 20s. Really? I was very poor in my 20s. Yeah. In Washington, D.C. for the Grand Prix. Um, I, I The hotels in Washington, D.C. were like $300 a night. 
like it was like insane and i just but like parking was twenty dollars a night in the parking garage so i just slept in the back seat of my car you know i had a grand old time i guess like one of the other benefits of driving is you're not kind you're not really restricted to sleeping near the tournament you can get a hotel that's like 20 to 30 minutes away from the venue and save quite a bit of money that way if you're able to find like a more reasonably priced one a short drive away yeah and at this away. point at this point in my life this is going to be a, a roger Bodie travel tip if you can afford it just stay within like a five to ten minute walk of the convention center and just and just like walk like it's always nice to get that little brisk like morning exercise on your way to the tournament hall. You don't have to worry about like paying for parking or an Uber or the commute. You get to sleep in a little bit more. There's usually some good restaurants or coffee places or drug dealers around in the morning. And you'll just have a much easier time of the day. And so it's just, I think it's worth the peace of mind. Uh, at least for me now, to just stay pretty close. And especially if you're going to travel with Michael, don't let him book you in shady murder alley, $20 a night hotel. I did that a couple of times in my 20s and uh, uh, not anymore. Saved a lot of money. Nobody got murdered. That we know of. Nobody got murdered. (laughs) You didn't bring bed bugs home. Correct. Yeah. We did not. Okay. Everything was fine. So, if, yeah, if you're looking to save money, you can find some lower quality hotels a little bit further away and save quite a bit of money that way. Um, I guess the other tip for saving money and also, in my opinion, make the trip more enjoyable is if you could get a group to carpool with you down to a tournament. If you're driving. Yeah, travel with a good friend of yours. Yeah, that's part of how we got close, I guess, is just like, oh. As this is after you moved here, but like, I feel like driving to tournaments together, we get got a lot of nice conversations. Yeah, we still traveled together for a couple of tournaments before I moved here, right? We really stayed hotels together. Yeah, we shared hotels. Yeah, I don't think we ever drove together though before. And that. It would be hard to carpool when we're a five-hour drive apart. Yeah, yeah. Then how did we drive a car? Was was it after? I moved to Indianapolis. You tried to murder me. No, no, because we were staying at we were staying somewhere all together and we were just driving to the tournament and we got breakfast on the way. That's what I thought. I thought that was pre me moving here. Yeah, because that 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 feels like an older memory. Yeah, I'm a great driver now. That's good. I'm glad you've matured. I am at least slightly above average and that's good enough. Yeah, I mean, everybody thinks they're above average driver, but 50 percent of those people are wrong. So, I mean. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm slightly below average. I don't know. I think I'm slightly above average, and that's good enough for me. What gives you the advantage now is that like the Ferrari at least gives you the speed to like at least outmaneuver you know, the other Ferrari. cars. <laughs> I got a Toyota Corolla, and it's a great car. It's real nice. Sure, buddy. It's got like the the lane thing that like keeps you in your lane, you know, in case you're like falling asleep behind. No. It's just nice. I fell asleep behind the wheel of a car one time. Really? That was not a fun experience. Yeah. Did you crash? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it's nice of when you crash when you're sleeping is your body's perfectly relaxed. So you it's really hard to injure yourself unless like you're like you're just less likely to injure yourself. So I was fine. Like the car was totaled, but I was I was fine. I just my body just literally rolled with it. I was Don't don't fall asleep on your way to a tournament. Get as much sleep as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good equity. That was on the way to a tournament though. That was that was 
very younger and very much more degenerate Roger kind of activities were happening back then. Okay. So we talked about travel, talked about rest. What about food? Food around a tournament. Do you eat during a tournament? No, but I'm a crazy person. I I, I actively will like not eat anymore during a tournament. Like I'll, I drink lots of water, drink lots of water during a tournament. But um, I don't know. I just feel like the hunger keeps like as long as hunger is not like a distracting motivated, like like you're if like you're in the middle of a match and you can't think because you're like, oh, I'm hungry. Um, don't do that. But for me, um, I don't have to worry about like feeling like overly full or bloated or like my blood sugar spiking or dipping unexpectedly because I ate something or something carby like that or, or like, and most food that's around a tournament hall is like just shit quality. Like it's not like if, if like there was like a fruit and vegetable stand selling fr- fresh organic, like celery sticks and carrots and stuff like that. Maybe I would eat like something light during a tournament, but like, I'm not going to go and fucking eat like French fries and cheese and just feel like shit for my next two rounds at that point. Like I, 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 that's why I choose not to eat during a tournament. Like maybe I'll bring like a small, small snack, but even now, most of the time I'm just like, just, just lots of water, just drink a lot of water and then have a really good dinner at night. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I generally eat the garbage food that the, is available at the tournaments because I'm like, I usually as a pretty big breakfast and then I'm usually good for most of the tournament. And then like later in the day, at some point, I want to eat a little bit more. So I'm like, just like, all right, for the last few rounds. And I usually don't get something too big at the tournament hall, but something small to tie me over. And then I also do a big dinner. So I have like two big meals and then like a small snack usually in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just not a big breakfast person. Like, I I'm just not that hungry in the morning, just for whatever reason. I I can eat like medium sized breakfast, but like it's just not. I don't want to feel like overly full to start my day. I guess that's just not. I'm not about that life. I like it. I feel like it gives you fuel for most of the day. I mean, you have fuel for the rest of the day in your coffee. I don't drink coffee. Well, there you go. If you didn't, if you drink coffee, you wouldn't need to uh, eat food. Confirmed. It doesn't sound healthy. <laughs> Skipping breakfast on using coffee instead. I'm not a health expert, but that doesn't sound good. It's interesting that because like the older I got, the more evidence has come out that like skipping breakfast is actually like a legitimate form of like dieting and weight loss. And like it's like intermittent fasting. I don't know if you've heard of that, where you only eat for eight hour windows of the day. So that means you eat from like 11 a.m. to like 7 p.m. is usually like what I'm going for now. That's like, that's kind of what I'm just doing, but like, uh, but yeah. So like skipping breakfast is, is fine. As long as like you have a consistent meal strategy and stuff like that. Hmm. Okay. If you have a good strategy that you've done some research on, you can skip breakfast, but I think you should have breakfast because breakfast is good. Do whatever works for you. <laughs> know yourself, you know, yeah. there's no, there's no one size fits all as far as like eating and energy management that's why if there was everybody would just do that you know that's fair and that's something that like i guess you just kind of have to go through some tournaments to figure out what works best for you but like it's you don't have to go through tournaments you just have to like know how to eat food beforehand it's like a different environment though i don't know i guess like figure out what works for you once you figure it out you're good do that 
Yeah, do that. Good advice. That's Glad real, we made this podcast. <laughs> real helpful. Figure out what works and do it. <laughs> good things are good. Confirm. <laughs> Any other hot tips over there, champ? I think I'm stuck. I think I'm just good. Good things are good. Have I off railed this episode hard enough yet? Eh, that's fair. I could have been worse. I behaved myself a little bit, at least. We're like 40 minutes in now. Nobody's even watching to this point anymore. I'll talk about can... outsider cards since nobody's watching at this point. We had a, uh, so uh, we can talk about our fun outsider spoiler uh, situation. So, twas the day that everybody was receiving exciting emails from legendary legendary story studios <laughs> legendary i don't even know the name studios. of this company no wonder why they they don't want to give us anything uh anyways and everybody was so excited like oh i got the email i put my googly eyes on twitter i think that's what was like the code that people were doing i think i picked up on that or something like that people would just put like google eyes as like uh, at a tweet or something like that, that to confirm that they got an email from LSS. i don't know we didn't get any emails that day, and I was very sad. And I was like, "Oh no, we don't get a spoiler card. It's sad. Oh well, you know, it's not a big deal. There's a lot of content creators out there. You know, not everybody has the world champion on their podcast, so they probably need the extra publicity, anyways. It's no big deal." Uh, lo and behold, the day after, so rude. We get an email, and. Uh, LSS is like, oh, sorry, we didn't know which email to email you guys because when I first registered a content creator account, I did it under my personal email because I didn't know if we would even keep doing this crazy thing past a couple weeks at that point in time. But here we are, and now we have an official uh, email, so we switched it over to that. And I don't know what our card is, uh, but we're getting one. Yeah, they mail it to you, right? Yeah, there's we have a UPS tracking number that has not changed. Uh, it's so I, they want us to spoil it the week of March fourth. So okay. I think that's we'll have to make a YouTube short for that. And uh, I got a good, I got, I have a good joke lined up on it. Don't ruin my joke. You know the joke, but don't say the joke. I have an amazing joke lined up for it. But we don't even know the card yet. It's fine. The joke's not related to the, the card that we're spoiling? No. Okay. It's just a really good way to spoil the card. Okay. And people are going to love it. It's going to be, it's going to go viral, man. I'm, it's I'm excited for our spoiler video to go viral. Yeah. Cool. But yeah. Aside from that, we really haven't, I guess there were the spoilers in Indianapolis, but like the quiver, who cares? I didn't realize how that worked. There was like each vendor got a spoiler. Is that right? Not each some, vendor. Some of the vendors got spoilers. I think one vendor, I think two vendors got spoilers. I think MinMax and Realm got spoilers. And then Mark Poole, the artist, had a spoiler. Okay. He's a, he does a bunch of art for Flesh and Blood. Yeah, I didn't even realize that was going on. I feel like I missed out. Yeah, you were too busy winning. Um, yeah, uh, none of the spoilers seem super amazing. Um, oh, and then they came out with the article yesterday about what stealth does. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed, honestly. It, it doesn't just... do any. It's like an aim counter, or I'm just, you know, other cards will care about the thing having stealth, but the stealth doesn't do anything intrinsically, which is like weird. Yeah, it's just like an attribute with no rules text in itself. So like things care about it, but it doesn't actually do anything. So I'm assuming. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I'm assuming the new hero, the new assassin, is gonna have something specifically about stealth on her hero ability. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that like her thing will be like, your stealth cards are super stealthy and can only be stealthed by stealth means. So something like that. You know? Okay. Really simple and intuitive for people to understand. Can only be stealthed by stealthenings. Mm-hmm. Stealth mm-hmm. things. What were you going to say, though? That. I was going to oh, say, yeah, okay. the Uzuri probably has something to do with stealth cards. So. Okay. Cool. But that means Arachne is not getting any love, which is sad. Well, aren't we getting a new version of Arachne? Is that confirmed? I thought so. Maybe that's not confirmed. I I don't know. I guess we'll see when the set comes out. I, I thought we were for some reason, but yeah. I'm, but we're not getting a new adult Arachne, right? That's not happening. If we do get a new Arachne, it'll be a new young Arachne for limited for limited purposes. I don't know. That would be weird to have two new adult assassins. But I guess we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I got a sick trade on uh, Black Tech Whispers last night at the Armory. Oh, I need a Black Tech Whispers. Yeah, it's, it's like a $100 card. It was the only legendary in the game I didn't own. And I traded uh, a couple promos and a Coronet Peak. And Coronet Peak's like $20. All the Uprising legendaries are very cheap because... Except for Crown of Providence. Oh, yeah. So that's that's part of why. And then the it was the first set with the new, like, no first edition set, first edition unlimited edition uh every and then it has it just has a higher legendary drop rate than older sets because between rainbow foils and cold foils is just slightly more legendaries than unlimited yeah. or first edition of other products had yeah but some of the promos in this game are like wild did you you got a cold foil uh fi right for i think um road to national seasons top dates do you still have that it's worth 200 dollars. i think i still have it isn't it it's young fire right yeah no it's adelphi oh i don't know it's in my it's not in my room somewhere so yeah i i, I wish i would have known it was worth 200 dollars. i would have just sold it a couple of weeks ago but or right, when, Indianapolis. in Indianapolis. but okay so we also got i guess the last thing is we also learned what all the token things do that the cards make like we learned what frailty tokens do and stuff so it'll be fun to see how those play i think the new codex is going to be broken we already said that but it seems good <laughs> I think inertia seems very good, but I don't know. What does inertia do again? No, uh, your opponent doesn't get an arsenal. Basically, it's the same oh, thing as uh, that so you can one destroy, but it puts is. it on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, it'll be powerful. But you get against yeah. Icelander. It'll be good against any hero that wants. It'll be good against old time. It'll be good against any hero that wants an arsenal, which is like almost everybody. Yeah, and it's nice to have like. I kind of like this take on arsenal destruction better than like command and conquer, where like, it's like, hey. Figure out how to spend your arsenal this turn because you're not going to get to keep it. Rather than, hey, I'm going to kill an extra card to get a full point of value or a full card of value. Yeah. Um, especially for like Rangers consideration. Like they already have a hard hard enough team time not getting fatigued to begin with. So like throw them a bone. At least put it at the bottom of their deck instead of putting more cards in their graveyard. Yeah. And, and like when you have the inertia token, I'm assuming you're not going to get it after you've spent your extra point on your turn. I assume you're going to get it on your opponent's turn. Though, I guess Riptide might give you an inertia token with a trap. But like, for the most part, it's going to be like, you know you need to figure out how to spend your arsenal because you have the inertia token on their turn. Yeah. Which is cool. I like that better. Or I like that form of interaction because like, you have room to play around it, but it's still like, really poet encountering like set of decks or decks that are trying to sit on a specific card in arsenal. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm ready to call it there. And anything else you want to add? Uh, or talk about? 
No, I think I'm good. I wasn't excited for this episode, but we got through it. It wasn't as painful as I thought it would be. I had a good time just talking to my friend, Michael Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. Next week's will be good. Next week, we're going to do underrated and overrated cards, right? Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So look forward to that, everybody. See y'all next week. (laughs) And the next time you are playing Flesh and Blood, always remember to mind your manners. Thanks for watching. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.